Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Daniel Del Real with PMZ Inc. in Modesto, California. He works the Central Valley. Last year, he closed 196 transactions with a total sales volume of $25 million. His average sales price was $131,000. 54% were buyers and 46% were sellers. He operates a team with four members, one closing manager, one buyer agent, one REO partner, and one team leader. Daniel Del Real is the team leader of the Del Real Group. He has been an agent for eight years. Daniel specializes in generating referral business from his database of past clients and sphere of influence. He receives over 80% of his business from referrals. Daniel is very selective about who goes into his database and who stays in. He's not afraid to remove names of people who are not referring him business. He only wants to invest his time and effort with people who believe in him and send him referrals. Daniel believes it's better to have 100 people in his database who are actively referring him business than to have 1,000 people who may or may not. Daniel stopped advertising a few years ago. He redirected all the money into improving his relationships with people in his database. After eight years, he has a database of 800 people who referred over 160 transactions last year. How does he do it? Daniel believes he must be a selfless giver. Through the magic of reciprocity, the more he gives, the more he receives. Daniel prefers to educate or show people how transactions work rather than selling or telling them. To this end, Daniel created transactional case studies for buying, selling, investing that he posts on his blog. Daniel added REO volume to his business by partnering with a successful veteran agent. Listen carefully to how Daniel is building his exit strategy. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Daniel. Hello, Mike. Uh, Daniel, before we get started into what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, I uh, spent four years in the, in the Air Force. Uh, shortly after that, um, I started my real estate career. I have my degree in criminal justice. I was going was gonna to go into that uh, sector, but uh, my parents have been long-time investors in real estate, and uh, she kinda nudged, my mom kind of nudged me into the, the business and eight years ago, and it's been history since then. Did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a fast start just because I, when I came back from the Air Force, it was sink or swim. You know, didn't have much of a savings. Uh, you know, I had uh, another career, um, which I ended up leaving for real estate. So I told myself I am going full steam ahead. 
for a solid uh, six months to see if it's something that is going to be uh, that that's going to fit me. If I'm going to be passionate about it, then so I, I gave it all I had for the first six months, and then from there it just kind of just blew up. You're in Modesto, California. Where is Modesto, California? It's in the Central Valley, California. Uh, we're basically one of the uh, capitals of the foreclosure market. Describe your current market. The market here has been stagnant for the last 18 months. So prices jump up and down from month to month. Inventory's low. Um, most listings out here now are uh, REO sales or short sales. We're starting to see a little more of the traditional sales or the, the, the flippers, uh, people that are rehabbing homes. You can put down the average price of, the, of Modesto is, is about 130000 Do you know your average days on the market? 45 days. Yeah, it's fast. It, with low inventory, homes are selling. You know, rates are still really low. Yeah, buyers have this great opportunity now to uh, purchase a house in the, the median price and actually uh, pay less than they do in, in rent. So um, investors are the same way. You know, they put 20% down on a property that's 130000 Their positive cash flow is, is 10 to 15% a year. So just on positive cash. So it keeps the market pretty busy and it keeps inventory fairly low. Do you have a niche or a specialization in that market? Uh, yeah, I, I deal a lot with... Um, with buyers, you know, I'm on the buyer end quite a bit, um, more than the listing end. It's, my numbers are very close. If you look at my numbers, I, I believe I'm, it's maybe 40% of my transactions are listings and 60% of those are buyer transactions. So um, it's hard to say where's my niche because I think I'm pretty well balanced across the board. But I'm, I'm doing, uh, we're basically doing it all. We do have some REO business in our inventory, listing inventory, which on our listing inventory maybe accounts for 20% of our listings. We have a short sale inventory, which also accounts, well, that, that accounts for a bit more, maybe about 50% of our inventory, and uh, the other 30% is, is a private party. Um, with the buyer end, we do a lot with uh, first-time buyers, and we are uh, helping a lot of investors purchase property in the Central Valley right now. How are you generating leads in business? We deal mostly with referral business. It's very rare for me to take a client on that's not referred to me. Usually if it's a cold lead that comes in on, say, the Internet or a signed call, whatever else we have out there, it usually shifts over to my buyer's agent, which is also my brother, uh, Enrique, and he, he works with them. You know, for the most part, we're, we're referral business-based. What percentage of your business do you think is referral? I would say anywhere from 65 to 75% of the business is referral. That's a big percent. Yeah, it is. It, it, it makes coming to work a lot funner when you have a relationship or somewhat of a relationship with the person that you're working with. We, uh, we don't mind firing a client if we don't work well with them or if they don't work well with us. We get to select a bit more who we work with and control our environment. How are you generating so many referrals? Yeah, the number one thing is the database. You need to um, keep track of everything that goes in there. 
and we don't put anybody in the database. We need to have a good relationship with you or actually close a transaction with you. So when you're when you're closing, you know, 200 transactions a year, your database gets big fairly quick. What I tell my brother is I want to get a referral from at least 30% of our uh you know, of our closed sales from the following year for the for the next year. So it, it tends to keep revolving the business business over, and we keep track of them through um, a database software, which is it's called ACT, which is not the best software, but it works well for us. Uh, we could categorize clients to A clients, B, B, A clients being people that love to refer, B clients, people that uh, wouldn't go out of the way to refer us, uh, but are still great clients that we've done business with. Um, we have a um, family and friend section. We have an investor section. And we also um, subcategorize clients by um, their transaction, whether we did a purchase, whether we did a sell, whether they bought an investment property, or whether they're a first-time buyer. So if I go in there and do a search of, um, all the properties that we've closed, I could um, categorize them by date that we closed and kind of create a follow-up system from there. What type of information do you like to collect on each person? Well, you know, you collect um, the simple stuff, contacts, uh, whatever you end up collecting while you're working with them. Whenever you're working with somebody, it's very rare that you work with somebody for less than 60 days, you know, whether you're buying a house or selling a property. So, you know, with with my conversations with my clients or my assistant's conversations with my clients or my brother's conversations with my clients, we, we tend to um, to uh, talk more personal with them. So if we know they have kids, or if we know they like a certain restaurant, if we know they like to do a certain thing, that all goes in under our notes, uh, under their contact in our contact management software. And um, we all have um, access to that a contact management software through um, different technology um, systems that are out there like logmein.com or, you know, um, we could have access to all their files if they were closing it through Dropbox or things like that. So we all have access to change that or uh, look into whatever, um, you know, if they had a closing or whatnot, if we need to look up, uh, you know, how the transaction went or if they had a home warranty or whatnot, uh, we all track it on one system. How big is your database? How many names are in there? Uh, names of solid people that we've done business with that we haven't, because not everybody stays in the system. If somebody's been in the system for three years that we've helped purchase a property and we know that they've just haven't had very well with, good rapport with us, they haven't really responded to our to our uh, personal notes or calls or anything like that, they'll get dropped off. Um, and in my system right now, solid people that I've done business with that actually refer business to me about eight hundred. How long did it take you to build the list of 800? Eight years. How do you build that list? How did you start the list, and how did you add to the list? Well, it started small. You know, when I came here, I left for four years, so I didn't keep in touch with a lot of people. So initially, it was just my sphere and my family. And um, I started like any other agent, you know, doing open houses, you know, walking neighborhoods, sending flyers out, putting newspaper ads. And I just slowly started building that, um, building that database. You know, um, I've been fortunate that, you know, the luckier, the, the harder I worked, the luckier I got. So I was able to build that database quickly because I was, you know, 
closing at the beginning, you know, 30, 40, 60, and just quickly jumped up to 100, 200 transactions a year. So, you know, I was able to build that fairly quick. Basically, the way someone gets added to your list is if they have a closing with you or they become a, a close personal contact. Yes. Uh, n- not everybody we talk to goes into our database right away. Um, if, if, say, you were a referral um, and we, you're either a buyer or a seller, even if you're, you know, say, for instance, a buyer, you know, we, you go into, and it's the old school way of doing it, and I know people don't like it, but I use Microsoft Outlook. It's great. It's been working for me forever. I'm not going to complicate my life more than it should be, so I still use it. And I, I, uh, I put them in my Microsoft Outlook, and they stay in my calendar, on my, in my face, every single day uh, until they're closed. And as soon as they're closed, uh, they, they don't appear on my screen every day. They end up going into my act, um, categorized, um, and then the follow-up system is, is set in place. And, um, and they dis- disappear from my um, Outlook until I actually have to do my um, say for a buyer or a seller, my one month follow up call after the close of the six month of the year, the two year, uh, they'll keep popping up on my on my outlook. Um, but so so to answer your question, initially they don't make it to my to my um, permanent um, database. They initially are in my Microsoft Outlook system for at least a month to two months before I know. Okay. Um, I either close on them or if for some reason we ran into an obstacle where uh, we couldn't get them financed or we have a good relationship, but something happened. If we have that good relationship, which I know is going to, it's going to, you know, we're going to do something with them or uh, they could bring some value to our business. I'll end up going into my uh, contact management software, but initially everybody goes into Microsoft Outlook and they eventually migrate you know, the cream of the crop basically migrate into my contact management software. So you basically have two databases. You have your leads, prospects, people you're working with right now, and then you have your solid referral database that you're going to put into ACT. So you have Outlook and then ACT. Yes. After somebody becomes a past client, they go into your ACT. They look like they're going to be strong for you in the future. Mm-hmm. How are you generating these referrals? You must be staying in touch with these people. How are you doing that? Uh, we do several things. Um, for, um, for instance, buyers, uh, we do follow-up calls uh, a month, six months, and a year. We send out anniversary cards in the first first year of home ownership. My assistant usually coordinates that. Um, I, I try to make it as automatic for me because I have other things to worry about, like generating business or, you know, finding buyers or selling people's homes. So. Uh, she she usually goes into the database daily, looks to see who I closed and when I closed them, or when somebody is set for their month or six months or a year follow-up, and she'll either help me generate the letter that I would sign, or um, she would leave a list on my desk so I could uh, make phone calls. Um, so that's something that um, that uh, I do to you know keep in touch with them. Uh, I also subscribe to a magazine that's called Home by Design, which I love because it's a passive um, advertising basic uh, magazine, which lets me modify the magazine any which way I want. So it's, it's a, it's a 30-page magazine my clients get every three months from me. And it's great because they see my name on the cover and on the inside, as soon as they open it, I usually have a really, really personal um, section where it describes what I 
think of the market, but not only that, but how my family relates to the market. You know, whether not just the general market, but the season or say, uh, for instance, my family and I went on a family vacation on, in March. So my April magazine had pictures of my family on vacation and I usually have like an, a, a quote to help uh, my clients say, um, seize the moment when they go uh, on vacation or, or when you're on vacation, be 100% present on your vacation and enjoy your kids. So I get a little more personal on that and that's a little more of a passive uh, a passive thing that I do. Another cool thing that we started doing, which I don't know why everybody doesn't do this, and it works fantastic for us when we started doing it. It's a bit bizarre, but we used to spend. We we usually used to spend uh, five hundred a thousand dollars a month on um, different sources of advertising, whether it was uh, online through, say, Trulia, Zillow, the the Google or uh, newspaper-based ads, and what we did is we stopped all of it, you know, just because we were just getting so many referrals, the ads or the, the calls that we were getting from the ads or the online um, websites, we weren't, we weren't as receptive to them because, of course, you know, if you have a soft, warm client and you have a very cold client that's going to take, you know, have that report with, of course, it's you're always going to go with that soft client. If you're really busy with it, then you have to focus on why you're really busy with it and, you know, make that grow. So what we did is we stopped all advertising about two years ago or so. And I started spending uh, purposely, I said, $500 a month. I was going to do half of my budget. Um, and I was going to do $500 a month, and I went out to uh, a grocery store, and I bought, uh, I went to their, their uh, gift card rack, and I bought gift cards to... Uh, most of the large restaurants in our city, um, movie theaters, uh, Home Depot. Uh, one month I did a bunch of gas cards. Um, when the gas started going bonkers, um, coffee cards. And so I have a stack of, uh, of uh, gift cards. And every time we get a referral from somebody, not when we close, but right when we get the call saying, hey, you know, I'm going to refer somebody to you. We get a call from that referral saying so-and-so referred me to you. They instantly get a personal note and a gift card. It could be $25. It could be 50 bucks, but it's something from us. Um, and that, believe it or not, people were returning calls like crazy, thanking us, saying how awesome it was. You know, um, another thing we, we spent money on as well is uh, we have uh, season tickets to our world champion, San Francisco Giants, uh, something that, was always dear to my heart going to baseball. So um, that's something that also allows me to call my database, uh, depending on who I want to reach, and saying, hey, I got tickets to uh, the Dodgers game today. Uh, would you like to go? Um, then they'll, they'll come into my office, or I'll drop off the, the tickets to their office, and it, it, it gives me a, a reason to call them a value. Um, I'm usually the giver, which when you find people that – enjoy that, they, they, they tend to give back. And when you find those people, when you're usually giving to them, they'll end up saying, I owe Daniel something. I need to give him something. I need to find somebody. And they make it, they, they get excited about it, you know, because they know that you're, that you're thinking about them, and in return, they're always thinking about you. Reciprocity. Yeah. So love it. Pay it forward. Do it without, without expecting something back. That's what I tell everybody. Look. You know, I send these gift cards out. I do all these other things, um, and I don't 
you know, people see that. If I don't expect anything back, you know, it, you don't, you don't, you don't have that. You don't have that over you, you know. So you give selflessly, and it usually comes back for you twofold. I mean, that's just the way I kind of do business, and I think people notice that, so they feel really comfortable with it. So when you make these follow-up calls and offer the tickets, you're not asking for a referral. You know, I'm softly asking for a referral. You know, so I call somebody, and our conversation might be, you know, might be a minute. If my conversation is only a minute, I'm not asking for a referral, you know, because that means it's not, you know, if you're going to ask for a referral, your conversation needs to be over two and a half minutes, and it usually has to be a little bit of relevance with whatever's going on in their life. And then you'll throw in at the end of it, hey, you know, they'll usually ask you because they care. They'll say, hey, Daniel, how's everything going? Everything's going fantastic. By the way, thanks so much for uh, for all your referrals. Whether they have referred anybody or not, you know, but you throw it out there. You just thank them, you know. Um, they might say, hey, I never referred somebody to them. Maybe I should look. Uh, but that's usually how I end it. I softly ask for it, but I, I do do ask for it. So you ask for it by making an assumptive statement by saying, thank you for sending me your referrals. Yeah, thank you for trusting in me these last couple of years. I really do appreciate all the help that you bring uh, to my business. And, um, you know, and, and usually it comes with you know, just a simple chat about family or it comes with, you know, here's some tickets to some Giants game or, you know, usually they'll call me back for, you know, when they're calling me back because I sent them a gift certificate to to some certain place, it's usually because they did refer somebody to me. And those are the people I really want to keep asking because those are the people that are actually, you know, um, saying my name to their family and friends. You know, it's it's better to have, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 people that love you and every chance they get, they're telling you, I know Daniel and uh, he's a great agent, and you need to talk to him, you know, um, than having a thousand people that maybe might or might not refer you, might not know your name. So I'd rather focus on those 100 qualified A-plus people that are excited to give my name uh, than, than to really focus on the thousand that don't. Do you see a concentration of a certain group of people in your 800 database that send the majority of the referrals? You know, it's it's a variety of people. I have um, a lot of the first-time buyers are very excited. They love to refer people to me. A lot of the young, you know, the people that weren't buying homes when the market was going bonkers that are, you know, in their low 20s to mid 20s to, you know, just getting out of college, they love to refer people. We're in a society of, 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 of contacts, and you, sometimes you're excited about the people that you know and, uh, they're they're excited to know me and to be in the business and, and the way I do business. So I, I see that they refer they refer a lot of people to me. Any other secrets to generating referrals out of your database? No, I mean I think the biggest secret is is uh, is investing in that database. You know, focus on the people that have done business with you and are happy with you. So if you're going to spend five hundred dollars on a newspaper ad or whatever kind of ad that's going to maybe touch a bunch of other people that might never call you, you know, try it for one month. You know, stop that and spend that money in the people that you've done business with, not expecting anything back, and you'll be, you'll be amazed what happens. In your letters and your postcards that you're sending out or your, your thank you cards, do you make any reference to referrals in those cards? Yeah, just about all of them. How is it referenced? I put, 
you know, on one side of the card, they're all personal cards that I make. Uh, you know, for instance, if somebody, if I close a transaction with somebody, whether it's a seller or a buyer, I do something a bit quirky. I have my own cards that you know, say on the front, and I've been using this forever, and I'll, I'll keep using it because, you know, I've been to buyers' homes or sellers' homes, and, and they've, I've seen the card on their mantle like a reminder that this is what they did. And um, it, it says, uh, a, a house is built by uh, wood and beams, uh, a home is built by hopes and dreams. And in the inside it says, congratulations, and I write a personal note of our, you know, of our experience. And then uh, on the other side, I do put a quick little note. By the way, if you know anybody that uh, that's looking to buy a property or get some real estate advice, please give them my card. I'll include a couple cards. And then I'll stuff the heck out of that envelope with confetti. So usually it generates a call because they'll open it up and I'll flip the card upside down and the confetti will go all over the place. So it's usually a pretty funny conversation whenever they get get back to me. <laughs> you know, but uh, I always ask for it on their six-month letter or uh, if I if I call them and I send them a personal note or if somebody refers somebody to me, I'll I'll put a quick note in there and then on the on the inside flap I always put, you know, thank you for your referral and I'll include a couple other business cards. So uh, I always ask for it. You talked about when you, they first close, you try to get in touch with them one month, six months, 12 months. How far out do you schedule your contact with them? I usually do up to a year. Um, and then I'll put them, well, when they're in my year, uh, I, they also go into my, um, my regular follow-up systems. Like they'll get my uh, Thanksgiving card. I have a personal Thanksgiving card, which I sign a ton of them. Uh, my Christmas card, my personal family Christmas card, they also get. And then, and then uh, most of them are also in that uh, passive uh, magazine that I send out as well. So uh, it's something that they don't, they, 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 they hear from me on paper at least three times, like solid, you know, heartfelt, you know, um, mailings, like a uh, like Thanksgiving card or a Christmas card or my magazines that actually have personal things in there, and then um, I'll tend to call them as well. Or, you know, if they're good clients, they tend to call me. So my phone is constantly ringing with people that want to talk, so I always want to make that time to to do that. But uh, to answer your question, after that year, they go into the more passive, the passive uh, indirect kind of direct marketing that we have, uh, the Christmas cards, the Thanksgiving cards, my... Um, my uh, magazines, and also, um, you know, hopefully we'll stay in touch because of, I'm calling them with uh, tickets to the Giants game or thanking them for referrals or just calling them to see how they're doing. I, I have my assistant. She also makes a list of 10 random, 10 random people, um, and she sets them on my, on my desk, and I call them every week, you know, just to kind of say, hey, how you doing, you know, talking to people. So you try to make 10 random calls per week on top of everything else you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Just the people that I haven't, maybe I closed two and a half years ago, maybe haven't been as active. When I make that call, if I see, hey, we kind of weed them out a little bit too. If I haven't had much response to 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 them and say they don't answer my call and they don't call me back and I try and try to give them a call again, and they don't answer me back and, and, and I tried a couple times and I just didn't, you know, sometimes they'll drop off my list. You know, um, I need to focus more on getting solid people on my contact list, people that are going to refer me and people that like to do business with me. So, um, you know, it's, it's rare that I do do that, but uh, sometimes I do weed them out a bit like that. 
So that's pretty sharp. You're actually culling your list. You're weeding your list down to the strongest referrers. Hmm. That helps you focus on them and not be distracted by people who may not refer business to you. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, if I'm calling 10 people a week and I'm following up maybe with a personal a personal card or, or a gift card or something just simple, quirky, uh, if you think about it, I'm making you know, 40 calls a week, which puts me at 480 calls, a little more than that, 480 calls a year, which I basically just called half my database over a year. You know, so you know, when it comes down to after a year, what do I do? Chances are they're getting a call from me, and they're getting a lot of other personal things from me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a way to kind of really keep gauge of what's going on in your, in your database because that is your foundation. That is your lifeline. You know, that is what's going to give you business, at least for my business. Yeah, it sounds like in year two, they're receiving at least six pieces from you, the personal cards of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then the magazine four times a year. Do you schedule calls on top of that? There's a certain number of calls you try to make each year to each of these folks? If I don't talk to them during the year from a referral or thanking them for something or they don't call me for randomly sending them a gift card or thanking them, then I, the only time I will talk to them is if they're on my list of 10 people to call that week. You know, So if I have 800 people in my database, I'm calling 480 people a year, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking to them for the most part uh, every year and a half, you know. Um, and, and keep in mind that some of the people that I call, say I call 480 people in a year, if I don't, if I say I don't have the referrals to let me give away $500 worth of gift cards, I'm giving away those gift cards no matter what. So I'll pick people from my database that I, I had a great transaction with, I had an okay transaction with that maybe I just want to reach out to. I'll send them a quick note, send them a gift card, and guess what? 90% of the time, they'll call you and say, hey, thanks, can't believe you sent that to me. You know, uh, what did I do for for this? And I, I say, hey, nothing, you know, we're, you know, just thought about you the other day, and then I figured that uh, you'd enjoy going to the movies, or I figured that you'd enjoy a $25 gift card, or I figured you'd like uh, coffee or uh, iTunes $10 gift card, you know, just depending on what they have. Or, or who they are, uh, they're, I'm constantly in and out of that database. And do you keep track of what you send them? Do you, do you write that down in your database? Uh, yeah, I have in the notes section uh, a section that says when I sent them, what I sent them, and, uh, and whatnot. Yeah, I do. How do you decide who you're going to make those unique calls to for, for instance, the tickets? Do you have a certain method that you use there? I like sports, you know, so... I'm very personable whenever I'm finding homes. So you spend a lot of time with people when you're selling a house or whatnot. You, you, you tend to call and talk to people a lot. So, you know, some of our conversations are not just business. Sometimes it's personal stuff. So I I, I kind of drop hands to see whether they're fair acts or not. And if so, I'm really excited to put them in my notes because I just love giving away things to them. You know, I love saying, hey, you want to go to Giants game in a week? You know, um, so I indirectly kind of ask them. How many tickets do you have? Do you have two season tickets, four? Do you, do you try to buy a block of 20? No, I have the two seats, lower box. Um, so I'm calling, and I divide them up with a business partner. So, you know, if I have uh, 42 tickets, it's 42 calls I can make, and 42 things I could give away in a season. I don't give them all away sometimes if I know a client's a true fanatic. And uh, if, if, if the client's a, a fanatic and I know that, 
they've done well and they've referred a ton of business to me, I'll go to the game with them. You know, so it gives me an excuse to get away for a little bit. Um, so, you know, usually I I could give away anywhere from, you know, 30 to 40 tickets a year. Yeah, that was my other question, whether you are offering to give one ticket away and they go with you or you give them two tickets and they bring somebody else. Depending. Most of them, they go with somebody else. I like them to take the wife or the kid or something and, you know, but every once in a while when I know that it's somebody that is, is, is a fanatic and, and they know that I'm a fanatic, then we'll go out there together and it gives us that it gives us the, that that half a day we're going to spend to really bond, you know, and grow as uh, grow our relationship, you know, get to know them a little more personally. And uh, a lot of them are business contacts. I love doing that with business contacts. I have a client that's a CFO of a large firm here, and um, you know, I spend a lot of time with him talking sports, doing things like that. But you know, in the last year, he's excited to to. To know him, he's excited to see me grow. I'm excited to know him. I'm excited to see him grow. And if I've told you he's referred ten different transactions in the last in the last twelve months, it's not enough. You know, he always does something, and I always enjoy enjoy hanging out with him. So, for instance, you know that kind of client, you know, I'll, I'll go with him to the game, and we'll, we'll hang out, talk. Do you contact your database through email? No, not really. Um, I see email. I hate. I hate how much junk I have to read on my email. I think it's very passive. Um, so I don't send like a news blast or anything like that. Um, I don't. I do contact clients a lot, uh, which is kind of, right now it's the way it's, it's in a, intertwined with email is Facebook. I have a good portion of my clients on Facebook. I would say out of my database, maybe 150 clients are friends of mine on Facebook. You know, hopefully that number grows. Um, so, and and that sometimes I respond in an email, but it goes directly into the Facebook system. So, um, sometimes I do, but it's it's mostly through the Facebook messaging messages or or um, their wall or whatever. Are you using any other type of social medium? You said you're using Facebook to stay in touch with your database. Anything else you're doing online? Yeah, we're on Facebook. I'm on um, Twitter. I'm on um, Lincoln. I'm on Trulia, things like that. But what I really keep, what I really use to keep in touch with my clients, for the most part, is uh, Facebook. It sounds like you prefer direct mail and phone calls. I do, but you know what? With Facebook, you know, we're three years in the Facebook, and sometimes I don't send out that personal card because I've sometimes talk to clients online, like monthly, you know, when they're doing something or they'll go back and forth on my post, which I think we have a pretty good relationship doing that. So I'll, I'll, I'll tailor that to them. So I don't, I won't send them a personal card or, or anything like that. Or, you know, but sometimes if I see that they, they, they love the dish at BJ's, um, then I'll make a note of that. I'll remember that. And then, um, I'll surprise them with a little BJ gift card or something like that. Um, so, on some of those clients that I'm interacting with uh, more um, frequently on, on Facebook, even though it's a little more of a passive interaction, uh, I tailor them a little more uh, on my database. So I don't, they still get my cards, they still get my magazine, they still get, you know, every once in a while they'll get that personal phone call. But if we're, if we're talking on a monthly basis, then, you know, I don't, um, I, mean, I think our relationship is good enough, you know. Do you have followers on Twitter? 
I do. I don't have a large amount of, of uh, followers on Twitter. I started uh, using Twitter more for a custom website I did for a listing, and I just wanted to market it a bit more. Uh, so uh, I use. I have a funny story on Twitter. I don't know if you want to use this, but um, I was reading somewhere that uh, Bank of America was keeping track of their of, of of their name on Twitter. So I was having. I was. We're working on a short sale, and um, they, the problems usually come to me when they're when they're the last minute problems to find a solution. And and this client's foreclosure date was coming up in a week, and we had uh, an accepted offer. We had an appraisal done by um, Bank of America. I mean, we had everything. But we just need to get somebody on the phone to uh, extend this gentleman's foreclosure date. We couldn't get anybody on the phone, Bank of America, that wanted to help us. So uh, a part of just talking to other agents all over the United States and sharing information, I heard that if you posted something on Twitter and tagged Bank of America, you'd usually get a response back. So I, I did that, and... I'm not lying to you, maybe an hour, a minute and a half later, I got a call from the customer service department, and they fixed my problem within three hours. So, you know, some of the stuff I use them just kind of, uh, just to kind of help my clients out in any which way. It's bizarre to say that, but it worked. And the gentleman got another 45 days, we're going to close the shorts on about a week. <laughs> Kept them out of foreclosure, you know. Have you used that technique since? You know what, that was the first time I used it, and, you know, it worked. It was it was fantastic. Bank of America is doing a great thing, and uh, you know I had two three people on the phone from B of A within 24 hours, and they fixed the problem in a heartbeat. And I got a follow up call to see how I how I felt. You know, so it was it was really good. What happens when you get the referral? What do you do when you receive the referral? What happens from there? Uh, what happens from there is I. Uh, I'll, I'll instantly call the referral to set up an appointment to meet with them. Um, instantly also just send out a thank you card to the person that referred them to me. And whether it's a buyer or a seller, buyer if it's a buyer, chances are they're not qualified. Uh, they don't really know the market. So uh, I'll try to get them in my office to do our 45 to uh, 30 to 45-minute introduction kind of talk. To see what they what they really want to do, and then from there we'll set them up with a follow up appointment to a lender or whatever it may be, um, and they'll go into my Microsoft Outlook system, which um, I'll put notes in our who the referral came from and what our initial conversation was like, what they're looking for, what their wants, their needs are. You know, if it's a seller, then I'll make contact with them, and for that we'll set up an instant an instant uh, time to meet at their home. Or if it's a listing presentation, we'll get information from them on the phone, and then we'll we'll go over there and 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 give them the listing presentation. And the referrer gets a thank you card. Do you ever make a personal phone call to the referrer? Yeah, I, I'll make a I'll make the phone call, and, and in most cases, I'll, I'll make the phone call after, and then I'll send out a thank you card. Okay, so you're doing both to the person who referred the buyer or seller. You're calling the referrer and sending them a. A thank you card with a gift card inside? Yeah, not all the times. I would say about 65% of the time they're getting a call and a, call and a card, uh, depending on how my schedule is. Do you send the referrer anything else after that? For instance, when the buyer or seller that they referred closes? Yes. So you'll send them a second card? We won't send them a card. We'll just send them a thank you note. We, we want to we give back while the iron's hot. You know, if somebody's referring somebody to us and they're a giver, you know, they'll be surprised when they receive.
You'll be doing it at least twice. Yeah. Once when they refer and once when the deal closes. Mm-hmm. What other ways are you generating business? You mentioned REO earlier. How is that working? How did you get into the REO business? Well, that was um, something that we started three years ago. And um, the my business partner, Joseph Bondi, which is uh, a seasoned agent. He's been in the business for 28 years. He's, he was actually a mentor. He still is a mentor to me um, in the way he does business and his just financial structure. I love it. Uh, and he was uh, doing Bank of America sh- REOs uh, years back, and, you know, he's, he's getting a little overwhelmed, so, um, you know, I helped him out a bit when he went on a, on a, vac- on a vacation, and uh, he liked the way I handled the business, and I, pro- I gave him a proposition, I was like, hey, you know, what are your thoughts of me using your resume, or, or getting a hold of your contacts, and maybe duplicating a couple of these accounts that you have, and he was open to it, that we agreed to split everything down the middle, making it really, really simple, and, um, you know, we, we landed a couple accounts, which, you know, now that the market is transitioning a little bit, um, our inventory isn't that large on REO transactions. You know, if we close, you know, 20% of our business being REO, it's 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 fine. But that's how I got into the REO business is, uh, is through his connection. Who works the business when it comes in? Do you split that? Do you go every other person? Do you, How do you split this business up? That's his, basically, baby. He uh, takes care of of, uh, you know, putting the checklist in place, making the folders for the property. We have we have checklists for everything. So we have a checklist when an REO comes in, you know, or when a short sale comes in or when a buyer comes in. And, um, you know, he'll put that together and he'll start making contacts. And he's basically the field guy. He doesn't work with buyers. You know, he, he wants to work um, the 40 hours a week. He, does, he doesn't have it in him to work like, you know, the, the 60, 70 hour weeks like I do. But um, that's what he likes to do. So um, he handles most of that. Uh, when it comes down to um, negotiating or um, you know talking to agents that bring offers to the to the table, my assistant takes care of a lot of that, or or I do as well. Um, I have you know I have a lot of clients in this in this market. Considering that even agents that I do business with are quote unquote clients because they tend to facilitate things for me because they have that personal relationship with my staff and, and know that we have a track record of um, managing our transactions correctly. So um, I tend to micromanage a bit more our communication when it comes down to uh, talking to other agents when, when we're negotiating offers just to build that relationship with them as well. So uh, that's usually how we, we manage that business. On the REO business, it's not a large amount of business. He handles a lot of that. Uh, we have a um, staff member that we pay on an hourly basis, only part-time, and she takes care of uh, all the accounting when it comes down to paying invoices and getting reimbursed from banks and the whole process of, of that. Um, so that way, neither him or I have to really deal with that. Uh, she also um, manages a lot of our rental property that we that we hold ourselves, um, you know, with, with him being a mentor to me and, um, you know, taking care of the REO business. We also do a lot of joint ventures when it comes down to owning real estate ourselves jointly. So um, we throw things off each other and we invest together and um, we share her when it comes down to paying bills on rentals or paying handymen on repairs on our rentals, collecting rents, and uh, accounting for that. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV. Real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Okay, so you're splitting the cost of the accountant to the, the bookkeeper between you and your partner on the REO side. Yeah. How about short sales? You said you're doing some short sales. How are you generating that business? How's that working out? Uh, we do a lot of referral on that too. Um, and and on that, believe it or not, we get a lot of cold leads on that, we, which we, we don't take them too lightly. We actually, when somebody's calling us about a short sale, we instantly switch our mode to not a cold lead but a warm lead because they're actually reaching out to us and they need help, you know. So we don't, uh, we, we're very, very receptive to them. So I have a, a real estate blog, which I blog on. Um, I've kind of neglected it in the last month or two because it's been extremely busy. But um, And I also have uh, a blog on Trulia where I uh, put a lot of things up about short sales. N- not just the typical market snapshot that you see a lot out there, but like really relevant information like, Case scenario, this is a short sale we got, this is who the bank was, keep everything confidential, but we break down what the process was from opening to close, from, from gathering information to making contacts with the banks to listing to selling to getting a short sale approval to closing escrow. And I put the time frame on it. And, and I put obstacles that we had to overcome or sometimes they're very, very easy. So if, if you're a seller and you have a short sale, and you don't know what's going to happen, what to expect. Usually, you could go on that website or my blog and get at least four or five case scenarios saying, oh, I have Bank of America. I have Wells Fargo. This is what I should expect. This is what they're going to do. And at that point, we, um, we do get a lot of, uh, of our short sale leads from um, online sources or um, just word of mouth where people say, hey, you need to go on this website, take, take a look at, at what can happen actually like true case scenarios uh, and then it, it generates calls to us. How many case scenarios do you have? I believe right now I have uh, five or six of them on there. And they're all with different banks? All with different banks, yeah. That, that was pretty smart. And we also do that with buyers. I mean, I have uh, different sections on my blog which has buyers and we used to more aggressively before uh, market from start to bin, be finish, from the time we sat down with the referral buyer or uh, to, to the day we handed them their keys, it's a very competitive market. Buyers are scared. Buyers don't know how long it's going to take them to buy a house. You know, you're competing with a lot of investors. They get frustrated. Lending is very, very difficult. And I put those stories on my website. So, for instance, our um, generation is very uh, information-based. They want instant information right away. You know, somebody might tell you something, but, you know, reading it is, is completely different. And when you go on a website and say, well, I'm going to look in Modesto or in Manteca or in Turlock for a certain price range, and, and, you, and you see all these stories from people that, that uh, purchased homes in the same situation that you're in, and you see how long it took them, how many offers they submitted, you know, how the escrow process was, what kind of issues they came across, what their payment is, what their interest rate was, you know, and, and who their lender was. Um, it, it makes you feel a little more comfortable when when you're um, when you're talking to an agent because you kind of know what to expect. So uh, we kind of take the stance as people are tired of being sold to. So if you educate them, eventually when they're ready, they'll come to you. 
Tell me about Central Valley Investments, Golden Streets. What was that? Well, what it is is, um, you know, we've had a lot of negative publicity in the Central Valley. I mean, we were number one and two in the, the list of foreclosure cities for the last two years, you know, named the worst place to live. You know, I mean, there's a lot of devastation when it comes down to unemployment. But, you know, you could either look at the glass half full and see payment on the streets or look at the streets and see gold. You know, you're, you're seeing the street and you're seeing low prices, low interest rates, buyers that are improving their lifestyle by buying a house, actually reducing their monthly expenses. Investors that are buying properties and getting 10, 15, 20, 25% a year. That's very exciting, you know. It's funny to say that, you know, we're the most devastated city when it comes to home prices or unemployment and, and one of the top ones in the nation, but at the same time get published in, 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 in Zillow saying that we're the number two city in the nation, best place to invest, you know. So you're either going to look at the negative news and get influenced by the negative news as an agent and be affected by it, or you're going to look at the silver lining the gold on the streets, and you're going to see, look, I could make this happen. There is opportunity out there. There's buyers out there. You, know, you either put the effort in and you look at the glass half full or you're looking at, you're looking at the negative stuff and you know, you're not motivating yourself to come to work. How much of your business are investor buyers? Investor buyers, uh, I would say, that's a question. It's hard to, to put that down. It's about 30, 35% or so, I would say. These are either past clients or referrals from past clients, or are you going out with to target those folks a different way? The referrals, in most most cases, referrals. Um, sometimes we uh, we get uh, leads, which my brothers my brother deals deals with from uh, out of town investors that actually typed in say uh, Central Valley or Modesto rental property, and then one of our blog posts comes up on an investor we closed escrow on and showing what they did, how long it took them, how much money they put down, what their payment was, what their um, rate on return was, and then they'll call us saying, hey, I like that return. How can I do that? And then it kind of goes from there. So you have investor scenarios on your blog as well. Yeah, we have all types of selling scenarios. We have uh, 1031 exchange scenarios if you're doing that. Things that we've done, you know, um, uh, the, um, the upgrade buyer, the downgrade buyer, uh, moving out of state seller that turns into a buyer or, you know, out of state like con contingent or concurrent closings. We have first-time buyers, investor buyers, and short sell sellers. So if, we're, if we do 200 transactions a, a year, guess what? We probably have a lot of experience, and it's good to share that and educate people on, on the experiences that we see on a daily, daily basis you know, because things are changing all the time. People want to know, you know. Like if you're buying a car, or this is something that I do. I buy a car or I buy a TV set. I tend to Google what the average price is. You know, what are people buying these cars for? What's the MSRP? What are they actually paying for this car? Because I want to know that I absolutely got the best deal. Or I want to know at least what, what to expect. So I know I feel comfortable whenever I'm going in there to buy a vehicle or buy a TV or buy whatever. Um, and, and people do that with the largest investment they're going to make, which is a home. They'll Google the heck out of it. You know, they'll find you that way. You know, because you're putting information out there that's relevant, not just giving a you know, a, uh, you know, 80 page packet to somebody, you know, you're, you're actually giving them a case scenario. This is what it's going to be. Guess what? They're going to feel comfortable to pick up the phone. So don't tell them, show them. Don't tell them, show them. That's part of it. I mean, when, it, when I work with a buyer for the first time, uh, before I even put a mile on my car, I find them the perfect house. 
And uh, in my office, I have uh, like three different monitors, and I have a 42-inch plasma on my wall. And we go through a virtual tour of the city. Instead of driving, let's get, let's get all that riffraff out of the way. I don't want to go out there and show you five homes that you're absolutely going to hate just to, so I can start filtering it out. So let's find the perfect house right now. Let's find that perfect neighborhood. And I'm going to show you what the actives are, what the pendings are, and what the solds are. And I'm going to show you what the relevance is between the active purchase price and an actual close price, and if there's any concessions or anything. You know, so I'm, I'm educating them while they're here. So that 10, 15, 20-minute virtual tour that we do saves me a couple hours of, and a couple meetings of driving them out there, showing them things that are never going to interest them. You know, so we do it all here in the comfort of my office before we even set out uh, on the streets. What's the name of your blog? It's a blogspot blog. It's just blogspot.danieldelreal.com. You talked about 30% were investors. Are they buying single-family residence or are they buying multi-unit? Both. Hot. What's hot right now is single-family right now. Um, the medium price of single-family is 120 You could cash flow with 20% down on that, 10 15%, no problem. So a lot of uh, what's selling right now is single-family. How are you tracking your leads? You said you're using... Outlook, so once a lead comes in and they, they become viable, they go on the Outlook? Yeah, they go on my Outlook system. Talk about your follow-up with that lead once they go into your Outlook system. Usually if they go on my Outlook system, I have some notes there. We'll, we'll, I talk to somebody and I set them up an appointment in a couple of days, then they'll go in that day's appointment. Um, and every, every day I set up a follow-up appointment with them, whether it's showing homes or, or doing um, daily searches for them or, or just checking in with them on a daily basis. And I categorize them on my Outlook system by colors and by, by numbers. So, you know, uh, blue being people that are uh, pre-qualified, that are looking for homes, uh, or, you know, green being uh, listings that we have on the market. Uh, them I, I put on, on a weekly, weekly follow-up call and go through comparables with them. But uh, then once they end up where we're negotiating an offer, either a buyer or a seller, we put them in red. And uh, as soon as they go into escrow, we put them in a fire orange. Um, and as soon as they close, uh, we'll put them in a yellow stance where, you know, they end up fading away after that and go into the other, the other database. Uh, but I just categorize them, categorize them like that. I have a checklist for uh, sellers, um, whether it's short sell, REO, uh, but I really don't have a checklist for buyers. I just have a system of doing things that, it's just kind of automatic. Let's talk about sellers. How many listings do you currently have? I have uh, 24 listings. When you are going to go out to list a property, do you do a two-step or a one-step listing appointment? Do you try to get the listing the first time you go out, or do you just go look at the property first and try to get the listing on a second appointment? I do um, a two-step for the most part. I'm dealing a lot with short sales. So when somebody reaches out to you and tells you about the personal finances, they've probably done some research on you, and they have a pretty good idea that they're gonna they're gonna list with you, especially when they're telling you personal information like finances. So I'm not gonna pressure them into listing a property with me when it's such a delicate, delicate, very delicate situation. So I'll go there, go to their house, look at their property, and give them my short sale package, that uh, like a checklist of what to expect or what you need. And then I'll give them a day or two, and then um, they'll, they'll usually call me back to set up a time to list their property um, for short sales. On the um, selling end, 
depending on the on the private party end, depending on the type of lead, sometimes I'm always ready with a listing appointment, a listing contract, always. Uh, but if I see it's the time to close it, then I do it. If not, then um, I rely heavily on my my um, my presentation and my experience and my track record to feel comfortable enough if I go with another, if they talk to another agent, chances are they're not going to be as sharp or as experienced as I am when it comes down to it or as on cutting edge of marketing stuff that I do. Uh, so usually when they, if, if they meet with somebody else, they'll just call me back and say, hey, list the house, you know. So that I, I do, for the most part, I do a two-step, but I'm always ready with the listing paperwork at our initial point. How much time do you plan or schedule for each of those steps, the first step and the second? Uh, 30 to 45 minutes on the initial and on the sign-up. We, when we list the property, we do everything at once. So we sign all the disclosures up front so that way we don't have to bother the seller and we make our business more efficient, more automatic. Uh, we sign all contingency removals. So that takes a little longer. That takes about an hour to do. So our initial is about 30 to 45 minutes to talk and go over, our, go over what we're about and what we could offer them. And the following one is about an hour uh, to really go through all the disclosures and go through the listing appointment. Now, I do that sometimes. Sometimes it's my brother or sometimes it's my assistant. She's licensed, so she could, she could do it as well. Where are those appointments taking place? The initial appointment's at their house. Uh, the follow-up appointment's at my office. Do you ever do any of these listings over the phone or over the Internet? Over the phone, we, we talk, but you can't really list a property over the phone. You can't give anybody an idea on value until you actually see the home. That second step, you don't ever have to do that over the phone. You're going to do it in your office, or if they can't, you're going to meet them in person at their place. Yeah, we'll meet them in person in their place. Or sometimes I do do it over the phone. I have, I have people that sell property that are out of, the, out of town, and our initial will be there, and then they'll call me saying, hey, Daniel, we want to list, so uh, we'll send everything via DocuSign and have them sign all our docs, and we'll be on the market the following day with everything else that needs to be done. You know, so, so it's case by case. I, I love using DocuSign every time I have a chance, but at the same time, I'm not going to handicap my personal relationship with somebody just because I want to simplify it. Do you send out a pre-listing package? Uh, no, I don't. But you do bring an information package on a short sale. You said you have a short sale package? Yeah, I have a short sale package and a listing presentation as well that I... I I put together with in the last couple of years. Are you giving that listing presentation on your initial step, or are you waiting for the sign-up step? No, initial step. That's when that's when you're really going to sell yourself. So whether you're going to love you or hate you, they want to do business with you or not. So when you're going over there, you're going over there to talk to them, look at their home. But at the same time, you I, I go in there with an idea of value, uh, depending if uh, like a big range. You know that way I'm not committed to a price until I look at the home, but I show them comparables. Um, I show them our, our, our marketing tools, what we have, uh, what we're about, our track record, our performance, our mission statement, uh, our company, and um, you know we'll we'll go through all that, you know, within those 30, 45 minutes while we're there. So we really want to sell them while we're there because we want that second initial, but we want that second appointment. So you have a canned or a standard listing presentation that you use? Yeah, I do. Is that written down on paper, or do you have it on a computer? How do you display that to them? It's on paper, but our marketing, like videos and stuff like that, you can't do that on paper. All you could show on paper is a flyer and that you could put a sign up, but you know, we're, we're so past that. Selling a home, 
by putting up a post and putting a cool flyer up is, is basically over. So we show them our videos. I have a, I go out there with an iPad or my Mac, and uh, I show them some of the examples of some of the actual videos that we do on some of these properties. What do you mean by a video of the property? What kind of marketing are you doing there? Well, that's the cool thing is, um, you know, we do virtual tours like a lot of agents do. We found a really cool website called Tour Factory that does some really cool tours, you know, which is which is great. We use that as well. But um, we we actually hire a photographer, videographer to go through these listings and actually video these properties, like walking in them um, and showing, you know, uh, kind of realize a walkthrough on this property. And we do some of that stuff, and we have uh, personal, sometimes personal websites on a couple listings, or depending on the neighborhood, we'll have, a, we'll have a website just for that neighborhood as specialists with a few videos and a couple properties that are listed in that neighborhood that we have. Um, so it's just kind of uh, like a real, but you could, you could see some of these videos if you like. I have, for instance, there's this community in Modesto uh, where we they're, they're the most exclusive, exquisite homes you see. We actually just uh, sold one of those properties for $1.625 million, which was the highest sell in Modesto um, year-to-date. So we have a website that, if you go to that, that shows you what listings we have in that community. They're all higher-end properties. DiscoverRiver9.com. If you go on that website, you'll see these custom videos that are just phenomenal. And I credit that website for that 1.625 million sale because the gal that saw those homes, that home, saw it over a year ago at an open house and um, wasn't ready to purchase because she needed to um, get some financing straight with the stock market and, and, and doing things like that and actually gener- get the funds. But she kept going back to that video she told me and she'd play it like once a week. She loved it. She loved the house. She just wanted it. was right on the golf course. Um, beautiful, beautiful design. And once she got her funds, she convinced her husband, and she kept this, she kept this, uh, this experience in her mind because because we kept putting her in that house every time she went to our website. They bought that house a year after they saw it. You know, sight unseen basically. As she hadn't seen it for a year, she she called us and wanted to make an offer without even seeing it. We didn't show it to her again after after we were in contract. She went direct to you. She didn't grab a buyer agent. She went direct to you as the lister. She came direct to me, yeah. You mentioned that you have a video photographer. Uh-huh. How much does something like that cost to get one of these set up? Uh, it cost me about 350 to make that video, about $350. Uh, what a great investment. Oh, fantastic investment. And not only that, but I mean, it show, nobody else is doing that. Nobody is spending that kind of money on advertising people's homes, really. Uh, sometimes they are, but no, they're not as... They're not as, uh, it's something that if somebody's selling, I'm sorry, but if I had a house that say it was 130000 or a million, I'm proud of that house when I'm selling it. I'm more proud of, of the house, and that's the thing that we're seeing with, with sellers is, you know, it's usually us bringing them down to earth, you know, saying, okay, no, this is the true value of the house. But when they see the effort that you put into to their house and really, you know, amplifying the, the uniqueness on their properties by doing something like this and spending your money on it, then they tend to stick with you, whether you have the listing for 45 days or a year. They want to keep renewing that listing because they know that you're doing everything possible to get that property sold, and nobody else is going to do anything like that. So we do have that bit bit of uniqueness, too. In the video itself, it's a video of them walking through the home. Is somebody talking over that? Is there music playing over it? 
there's music and, and uh, subtitles down at the bottom as you're walking in, into the rooms. I'm trying to, you know, something I'm going to change, I'm going to start putting myself a bit more in the videos just to kind of throw me out there a little bit, but it's something that I've been kind of camera shy to do, but it does point out that we're the point of contact on the video. Do you have a picture of yourself on that video? No, it has our logo, uh, the Del Rio group. For the most part, that's usually what we what we put out there. How long is the clip? Is it 30 seconds, a minute? Two and a half minutes to walk through the house. It starts from the street, looking at the street view, and it goes through the entrance, and it goes throughout. Do you do that on all your listings? Most of them. Uh, we're in an interesting market, so shorts on some of the short sale listings, they're a little more private. Maybe they don't want as many photos as much as we do on them. Uh, some of the REO properties that we have, of course, uh, we'll do the simple virtual tour on them. But for the um, private sellers, uh, we, we really do go above and beyond to do that. Any other items you think you're doing that are unique in finding a buyer for one of your listings? We market some of the, the photographer and the pictures that we take of it, the video tour. We syndicate that video into Facebook, Zillow, Trulia, uh, Homes.com, YouTube, and we just try to track attract as much, as, much, as much activity to it. I assume you're doing some type of follow-up feedback to your sellers as you're moving along the listing process. How often are you doing that, and who's making the contact? Doing it once a week, and we'll do it two different ways, depending on how the seller is. Uh, we'll either That's when it comes down a little more to email. We'll send them uh, a weekly snapshot of the price reductions, the pendings that sold in their neighborhood. And I, I'll either mail it to them if they're the mail type or I'll email it to them if they're the email type. And either myself or my assistant will follow it up with a phone call. Who negotiates the offer that comes in? Is it you or your assistant? I, I do uh, with her help too. I mean, I don't. I call the seller direct, but she sometimes talks to the other agent to make sure that we have everything we need with their pre-approval letter um, that we verify that they are approved by calling the lenders proof of funds, deposits, make sure the offer is solid before we even put it in front of our seller. Who is negotiating the inspection? Then She's doing all that. Your assistant? Yeah, she's setting it all up. You know, when, when we do get a repair request or something like that, she'll, she'll, she'll take care of that. Who's attending the closing? Myself, for the most part, or um, one of uh, either my brother Enrique, if it's, if it's a buyer. For the most part, uh, it's me going to some of these closings. Do you do anything special at the closing? Do you have a gift, anything that's unique other than just closing? Yeah, when we, uh, when we sell a property, we, we don't do anything unique, but when we actually help a buyer purchase a home and we close it, depending on who it is, if it's an investor, they, they just want action. You know, give me bids to get it painted, carpet, you know, give me hooked up with a property manager. And so we, we, we help them by performing. Uh, on, a, uh, on a buyer, they're more personal. So... Um, and well, we'll go over there and we'll wrap the door with a bow. And we'll have them pick up the keys from our office and take that nice drive back to their place. And usually it comes and they'll, they'll see the, the, the bow on their door with a little note saying, welcome home. And put a little tiny note in there. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what we what we do. And then, and then we'll send them the, um, the, within a week, we'll send them that uh, congratulations card with a nice confetti just so they can clean up. <laughs> Let's talk about buyers. How many buyers are you currently working with? I like to work with, if, if I'm not working with 10 to 15 buyers at any given time, then I'm doing something wrong. 
I usually tend to base my business on the buyers that I'm working with, not the escrows that I have. If uh, and I tell my brother that too because he, you know, we like to keep ourselves pretty busy with buyers or, or sellers. So, uh, in in cases if uh, if I know if I'm working with say 10 to 15 buyers at any given time, which is why I'm very selective with the clients that I work with, because if I'm working with 15 solid referral buyers, I am not going to take on that 16th one and neglect the other ones. You know, I can't. I know that I can handle. You know, I would say 15 stretching it, uh, but. 10 to 15 buyers. If I know I do that, I know that I, I'm writing, um, you know, 10 to 15 offers a week, which I know that I'm, I'm, I at least have, you know, 8 to 12 escrows on buyers at a given time. So I try to focus on how active I am with my buyer leads, or the buyers that I'm actually looking for, which then I know trickles into, you know, um, escrows that I have. You know. Talk about your first conversation with the buyer what kind of questions are you asking? What's your objective? Well, I'm asking what basically their wants and needs. You know, I, I want to establish that first, I, a budget. So I don't want to send them to a lender and get them approved for 200000 when they're comfortable with 130 You know, So we'll go through their budget, and, and, and I kind of have an idea. If they say they're comfortable with $1,000 a month, I know that they're going to be purchasing or they're comfortable purchasing for 130 135 So I'm not going to... Show show them homes on the internet for two hundred thousand, you know. So I I I first talk about their budget, and what caused them to look for a house, and uh, start look talking to them about uh, what they're looking for, what neighborhoods they're looking at, and uh, I'll give them a little virtual tour of the city on my in my office. When do you bring the lender in? I don't bring the lender in until I get them in my office. So my initial conversation with them was it could probably it's probably like a minute minute and a half, and it's just saying hey how you doing. Uh, Returning your phone call or so-and-so referred me to you, uh, um, and then just set up that appointment. I want to get in front of them instantly, you know. Um, and then I'll set up the time so they could come in. At that point, then I'll start letting them talk about what they want, what they need, what what they what they're gonna, what they think they're gonna they're gonna get, or what they've heard. And so you do that at your office, that appointment. Yes. And everybody has to go through that appointment before you'll take them out to look at homes. Do you take people out to look at homes right after that appointment? No. Uh, after that appointment, I identify a budget, I identify what they're looking at, and I will set up a follow-up appointment on the spot with one of my lenders, usually 24 to 48 hours after we met. So I'll pick up the phone and, and, and end up uh, letting the lender know, setting up an appointment with them, and then I'll shoot the lender an email saying, this is their budget, this is what they're looking for, You know, keep this in mind when you're getting them approved, that way he's not, you know, He's not sending me an approval for you know, 30, 40, 50% over what they're comfortable with. So, and, and he knows where his conversation is going gonna, gonna to lay. You know, if it's going to be in the medium price range, if it's going to be in a higher price range, if they're coming in with money down, I usually try to feed that to them, which I usually get on the first initial meeting. You know, I, I feel that the buyers don't, buyers want to meet you and, and also let you know what they want and need and, and for them to know what, that you care what they want and need and that you're actually thinking about their finances before you ship them off to a lender. So do you ask financial questions? Yeah, when we're when our initial appointment, a lot of financial questions. Uh, we go through their budget. Um, and I, I do it in a way where, you know, I, I don't, I'm not just saying, where are you comfortable at? You know, I softly ask, you know, what are you paying for rent? You know, have you gone through your budget? What do you, you know, how do you see yourself? What kind of payment do you see yourself being able to handle? And then I kind of just unravel, unravel it like that. How long is that initial appointment? 
that could be most part about 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes. Is it in that initial appointment that you show them properties and you give them that virtual tour or is that later? No, I'll do it on, I'll do it on that appointment um, just to kind of give them a quick idea. I want to I gather as much information on that, on that appointment so whenever they, the second appointment happens with the lender and they call me saying they're excited they got approved or I call them saying, hey, congratulations, you've been approved, my next appointment with them is uh, to show them homes. And uh, usually if they're tech savvy, we'll set them up with a search online so they could start looking at some of these homes and we'll go back and forth, develop a list, and then we'll, we'll start heading out there and looking at homes. Are you signing up buyers on a buyer agency agreement? No, we don't sign them up. We can, but we don't. So that's not occurring in that first interaction, that first meeting. No, we don't. We don't tie them into any kind of contract. Uh, you know, usually when they're a referral, they they tend to want to work with us, especially after that first appointment. So yeah, I'm the first one to say, if we're not working well together, then uh, you know we'll know it instantly, and you know I'll be the first one to say it. So you do have a loyalty pledge then, some type of statement that you just made where you're trying to gain their trust or loyalty to you rather than going and working with another agent. Yeah, and it goes back to educating them, you know, letting them know, hey, look, your, your visitation is free. The seller's going to pay for that. So do you want to work with somebody exclusively or search might take a week, might take a month, might take six months, might take a year? You know, where I'm not there to sell you every house you see. I'm, I'm there to help you find the house, and as soon as you fall in love with it, I'll help you negotiate it and get that house and be protected through it. So that's a stance that I take with them where, you know, if you, work, if you don't work exclusively with me and you're calling every listing agent on their sign call, guess what? They're not going to have a rapport with you. They're going to try to sell you on every single house because the chances are that after that appointment, they're not going to see you again. So do you want those awkward conversations? Do you want those awkward financial questions that people are going to ask? You know, or do you want to build that relationship with me, develop a plan, and um, work your plan, whether it takes a week, whether it's one offer submitted, whether it's 10 offers submitted, whether it takes six months? You know, we're here to write that out with you. And everybody's a bit different. Usually when I tell them that, it puts them at ease, and they say, okay, I found my spot. I know where I'm going to be. Who's actually doing the showings, you or your assistant? Myself or my brother, which is a buyer's agent. We're, we're constantly out there showing homes. I just bring up appointments when, when uh, I give her a list of, you know, five, six homes and, you know, or say 15 homes with three different buyers, the tours I'm going to do or my brother's going to do at the end of the day, and she calls them and checks to see if availability of them, offer status or the situation with it. What percentage of the buyers do you think you're showing versus your buyer agent? Well, see, he has his own group of buyers, and, you know, I have my group of buyers, I think, with... Uh, for instance, the, the 200 transactions that I closed, of those, you know, I would say maybe 80 of those buyers were my closings that I worked with directly showing homes. And he's, he assisted me with some of them, you know, when I wasn't available, I was tied up. And then from him, uh, he'd probably do about 40, and, and he'd do half about what I do. So together we do about 120. So if you do the math on that, you know, um, I do most the showings, and he does he does a third a third of them, whatever cold lead we have, he kind of sees if he could develop it into a long-term relationship. But for, I'm, I'm very, that's one thing that I'm lacking is I don't delegate that well. I like to be hands-on because I love what I do. I love going out to showing homes. I love talking to people. And I know it's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort. And maybe I'm working a little more in real estate than on real estate. But it's just, I just love it. I like doing it. So 
it's very tough for me to let that go and have a, an agent work with my client, you know, throughout the whole the whole process without me being involved. I really like being in the in the trenches working. Who's negotiating these buyer transactions? Is that you or, or somebody else on the team? Uh, we'll write the offer up, and then my assistant goes to my assistant, and she starts uh, submitting those offers to the agents, getting me responses. Uh, as soon as we have responses, then uh, she'll call the, the buyer or I'll call the buyer. It'll be a uh, mutual thing. We work together. Do you attend the closings for the buyers? I attend about 50 to 60% of the closings, depending on my on my schedule. I don't attend um, all of them. My assistant does attend a few of them, um, but I, I try to attend depending on the client and how um, how hands-on they want me to be. You know, I'll attend about 50% of the closings. You've mentioned a lot about the team. Let's talk about your team right now. Let's talk about who you have on the team, what positions they are. And, and what they do for you, their titles and responsibilities. So let's start with your first assistant. Does she have a specific title, and what are her responsibilities? Uh, she's a coordinator, but we, we name her contract manager. So anytime we put anything in contract or we're negotiating a contract, she takes care of it after that. So the only time she lets me know uh, anything on that is uh, just to give me an update of what's going on with like inspections. But if we have a problem, then I tend to... Um, handle that. Uh, but she, she lets me focus on generating business and, and, and working with active buyers or sellers that we have now. Um, my buyer's agent, uh, my brother, which is part of the Del Rio group, he uh, deals a lot with uh, my, uh, my, the, the buyers that, that get assigned to him, and he also helps me out a bit with, uh, with some of my buyers if I'm tied up on some showings. He also has a slash next to him because he, he helps me with a lot of them, putting a lot of the marketing material together when it comes down to our private listings and our short sales. So that's his job. And then uh, my uh, REO listing partner, which is my business partner too, I'm Joseph, Joseph Bondi. He deals a lot with the, with the REO uh, side of it, uh, with, with those properties. And that's what he manages. He runs around and takes pictures, makes sure utilities are on, makes sure everything is going fine on that end. And uh, we have, of course, a, um, a gal that we also pay uh, an hourly salary to that handles our invoicing when it comes down to our personal expenses with our own real estate or uh, the listings that we have. Bookkeeper is part-time? Yeah, she's part-time. And everybody else is full-time? Mm-hmm. Uh, contract manager, buyer, agent, and partner, they're all licensed? All of them are licensed. My assistant, the contract manager, she's on a salary. She's on a, on a salary there, and every once in a while we'll throw a bonus on certain closings that just need to close on a certain time. And um, the buyer's agent, my brother, uh, he's on commission, so everything he closes, um, we I have a split. I have him on a split on that. Um, whether I worked with the lead at all or not, whether it came in on sign or whether it came in on an advertising, I usually uh, have a split for him at that. And then... Uh, my uh, REO listing partner, we just divide everything uh, evenly. And that's how I usually keep myself so well balanced when you look at my numbers, you know. I have 120 buyer transactions and 80 selling transactions. It's usually because I have it well spread uh, and I have the people to help. You've talked a little bit about technology and how you use it in your business. Is there any technology that we didn't talk about? I think we covered some of it, I mean, the, the vital things for, for us is um, 
We use Dropbox a lot. We love it. All our files, all our closings are put in the Dropbox. All our buyers, every time we do an offer, everything is digital. So we put it in Dropbox with their name and their file. The Dropbox, I don't know a lot of people know, but if you have an iPhone or iPad, you can access those documents anywhere you are. Anywhere. Um, the same thing with the, another thing is log me in. You know, I have um, a computer for my database. I have a computer that I run um, my day-to-day -day operations with. My assistant has a, a computer. My buyer's agent, my brother, has a computer. Uh, we have a, a computer set up on a, you know, the big 42-inch screen in my office, and my business partner has a computer. And we're all tied in through LogMeIn. We all have access to every single one of our computers at any time through that LogMeIn software, and it works fantastic. You know, um, if I'm at home and I want to check something on my database, then I go through LogMeIn and I log into the computer. If I want to check to something in my my assistant's desk, and I do that, or she could do the same, or I want to check my own personal computer, I could do that. My brother's computer, my my REO business partner's computer, or you know, I could do it all through LogMeIn, no matter where we're at. So it frees us from the office and it lets us do business wherever we are. It's a virtual network. Yeah, it's basically a network between our team. Daniel, you have a lot of people running around doing a lot of things. Are you profitable? Yeah, we are, and we I kept it small because of that. You know, I didn't. I was always afraid of that getting too big, and and you know, end, end up being that the CEO of the company ends up making less than the employees, and I didn't structure it that way. I have fixed expenses with my assistant, which she's worth every dime. You know, as soon as I hired her, my business absolutely took off. When I started delegating, I was surprised. You know, I had more time to generate business. Um, with my brother Enrique, he's accountable for his own income. He actually brings value to my business. He never takes anything away. So business that I wouldn't really handle because I'm so active with a lot of my referrals, business that would usually not I would usually not attend to, it goes attended uh, with him, and, and he has a track record. He closed 40 buyer transactions last year. Business I would have never had. So it helps me, never takes anything away from me. Um, my um, REO business partner, we split all the REO business. Business, I wouldn't have time to attend, you know. And uh, like I said, he brings business to me. He doesn't, it doesn't take any. So everything, everybody on my staff adds value, helps us all make more money, never takes anything away. So every time I, uh, I I'm very selective. That's why I bring a lot of family into, like my brother is my buyer's agent, my listing uh, my REO listing partner, he was my mentor for years. We do a lot of joint ventures together, very close to my heart, to my family. My assistant, same thing. Her mom is my, my, my child's babysitter. You know, I keep them really close because I want us all to grow together. And uh, usually they bring value to me, and I hopefully give them a little value back. So that people can gauge what they should expect as they're trying to grow their businesses, would you mind disclosing what your profit margin is as a percentage of uh, gross revenue? If I spend 30% of what I make on generating new business for my staff, that would be a lot. So about 30% of my, if I, if I spend, you know, 3,000 bucks to make uh, 10, that's usually what I'm, what I'm doing. Anywhere from 20 to 30% of what I make goes out in um, administration fees or advertising direct to my contact contacts or whatever other expenses I have. Because you're so active in your business, your profit margin, it sounds like, is somewhere between 70 and 80 percent? Yeah. yeah. And I could drop that if I, if I wanted to take more time off, but 
You know, I'm eight years in the business. I'm 30 years old. I don't have the time for that right now. I need to, I need to make some money. I need to pay taxes. I need to get our, we need to get our country back. We can't take the back seat. We need to put the shoe leather on the ground, go out there, work, and, you know, reap the rewards. And, and yeah, maybe I could do more business if I brought somebody else on, on staff. But, you know, I'm more hands-on. I enjoy what I do. It's my career. You know, I love every minute of it. So, you know, I surround myself with good people that benefit my business, and it's been working well. You know, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a year in the last four years that I've closed less than 150 transactions. And I'm happy with that. And a lot of happy home buyers, a lot of great relationships. It's a good business to be into, but uh, you know, you need to put some work into it. I, I was working seven days a week for six years until my son was born. He's 18, 19 months now. I just started taking Sundays. Thank you. I just started taking Sundays off. So, you know, I love it. And one of the biggest things I, I, I tell my staff is, you know, say, look, if you're going to be at work, be at work. If you're going to be at home, be at home. You know, I could be at home one day a week and two hours a night. But I'm, a, I'm present 100% of the time. You know, I shut my phone off. I am done until the next morning. Um, and I think I'm more valuable like that than to be home, you know, uh, three days a week and be present 50 to 30% of the time because I'm answering phone calls or I'm worrying about other things. So, you know, one of the biggest things is saying be present, whether it's your family life or your business life, you know, I know agents that are in the office for eight hours a week and they sit here and they do nothing. You know, uh, they're worrying, worrying about home when they're at work and they're worrying about work when they're at home. So the only thing that I, the, the biggest advice I tell people is saying, if you're going to be at work, be at work. Be present 100% of the time. Surround yourself with great people. If you're going to be at home, be at home 100% of the time and close everything off. How many hours do you work in a typical week? <laughs> It's it's a lot. I, my days usually run 10 to 13 hours. Uh, my Saturdays uh, tend to be, you know, 6 to 10 hours, and my Sundays are free. So, you know, if you do the math, I'm working at least 60 hours a week, which is not bad. I, mean, I was in the military. I was used to working 24 hours a day. They used to tell me that you don't have days off. You have days that the military says you don't wear that uniform. So it was during September 11th, so guess what? You know, working 13 hours a day for me was a break. <laughs> I was, I'm really blessed and fortunate that that happened because it taught me how to work hard and, you know, how to take a break and work 13 hours. Daniel, do you have a business plan? I do. How often do you review it? I have it in front of me every day. Every time I open up my, my planner, it's right there. Do you modify it as you go through the year? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm aggressive. Uh, with my business plan, but um, it's, it's bizarre. We always find a way to meet it or or, or, um, or beat it. So I end up um, having to change things and increasing some numbers that I see that, you know, we need to increase. So um, yeah, I modify it. I, I probably touch it maybe once a month. Are there certain numbers that you like to track in your business? You know, just referrals. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big like tracker. I just know that if the phone's ringing, it's working, you know, and I have the systems in place to make it all automatic, so I don't have to keep analyzing it. If it's working, it's working. I could tweak, 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 but other than that, the system is going fine, so I'm not going to spend, you know, hours a day analyzing something that's already working, you know. If it's not working, I'll know, and guess what? At that point, I'll start looking at it. 
but to answer your question, I do track where the leads come from, but I don't have a system that says exactly, you know, or I don't put them into a system where I track exactly where they're at at every given given moment. But I just you know as long as I'm pipeline is full, I'm doing something right, and I'm making calls, and you know, I say that when my iPhone doesn't register by the end of the day, if it doesn't register my 10 o'clock calls, that means I had a great day. So if my iPhone says, if I looked all the way down to the bottom, which I think takes 100 and something numbers a day, if, if I can't see the calls I made at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, then I had a great day. Do you have any affiliate businesses, mortgage, title, things like that? Nothing really like insurance business or nothing like that. The only thing we do have that is, and this is probably something that would be, that would be good for um, an agent to know, is I have a business that focuses on my exit strategy. You know, um, that's the biggest mistake I see agents do. They make money year in, year out, but they never have an exit strategy. Even though you love your career, which I love my career, but guess what? I love my career because it secures my financial future. And I see that in 10, 15 years, I'm probably going to be able to sell my database to somebody for a good amount of money, so I structure it that way. Just like any other business, you treat it like a business, but at the same time, you have an exit strategy. So my other company that I have is, is a corporation where I buy and hold uh, real estate, which gives me passive income. And um, I also, we do a lot of buy and flips, so we also have a lot of, uh, you know, it's just a whole different beast when it comes down to who we have on staff that are contractors or, you know, um, you know, the project managers or lenders on that end. Um, and that's just mostly to secure our financial future. So the stuff that I tell my clients when they're investing in real estate, I don't tell them, I don't educate them, I show them. You know, it's not weird for me to show a buyer, an investor, a new investor, what my purchases were and what kind of returns I make. And I show them. I show them my vacancy rate. I show them what I spend on, on some of these repairs. And... Um, you know, and it works well for me. It's like when I went out and looked for a financial advisor, I wanted to see what he invested his money in. If we work well together and he's investing his money into it, guess what? I'm going to do the same thing, you know, if we have the same personality. Um, so I I, uh, I have an affiliated business, but it's my exit strategy. Uh, it's my investing in myself and my retirement. How many flips do you think you're doing in a year? You know, this year we're we're, we're set to do 20. I think we're working on five properties right now. Um, you know, so we'll do we'll do about anywhere from 15 to 20 flips. Uh, we own about I think we collect on about 20 doors rent. So we have a good passive income coming into, and uh, everything that comes out of income in that area stays directly in it. We never take a dime. It's our retirement fund. It's basically our exit strategy. You're flipping 15 to 20 properties a year, and then you buy and hold. You currently have around 20 rentals. We collect on 20 doors. Some of them, a lot of them are, some of them are duplexes, um, and uh, we have a, a triplex, uh, so those account for more doors. But we collect, we count them doors because that's the rents that come in. So we collect on 20 doors. I believe we own about 15 properties. Is Mr. Bondi part of that? Your REO listing partner is he part of these properties that you're talking about, or is this your own individual corporation? No, he's 100% part of that. That's what that's what he focuses on. He he, get, he gets a little income on the REO stuff. He keeps really busy on our on our um, long-term investments, and uh, you know, he, he brings a lot of value to me. He's, he's helped me out quite a bit, and then we're growing together, and you know. 
know, we both have a plan, and that's a completely separate plan, and we, we look at that every month, and we talk about it every month, and uh, we're on the same page when it comes down to that. You said you leave all the profits inside, so you're building up retained earnings. Yeah, retained earnings. So it's, it's pointless to gain, you know, 20, 30% return in real estate and, um, and not get the, the, compound, the compound of it. You know, a lot of investors go buy real estate and then they spend the profits. Well, if you're going to do that, just invest in the stock market because that's compound interest. You know, it keeps compounding. So, we, you know, if we make 40,000, 50,000 a year on passive income, that's enough to buy another property you know, putting money down. So we, we tend to reinvest it in, into it or, or buy a flip or whatever it is. The positive cash flows that come out of that, are you reinvesting by paying down the mortgages or buying other properties? Right now we're focusing on acquisition. Our profits are so so good on them. We, we profit anywhere from from 10 to 30% a year per property. So um, we're comfortable with that. We don't need to pay down the principals yet. We want to uh, want to focus on acquisition while the market is low. And then from there, if we have a, if our, our projected passive income, if it's you know, two fifty, three hundred thousand a year, then at that point we could focus on maybe depleting some of those principles. You know, but at this point, why throw um, money that we're making ten to thirty percent return on to pay off a mortgage of five and a half percent? What drives you? You know, my family and the people I work with, uh, my clients. I love them all to pieces. You know, every single person I work with, you know, I don't want to let them down. If I take on a buyer, I'm taking on a buyer. You know, I'm not going to go off and screw around. You know, I'm there to do a job, and they're relying on me to find that perfect place for them, and, and I'm going to do it, and I take a lot of pride in it. So, um, and every time somebody refers somebody to me, it's, um, it's like a pat in the back for me, and it feels really, really good, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. So that drives me, you know. I love when the phone rings. I love, I love giving things to people, you know, and people tend to give that back. And, you know, I think that's what it is. The more busy, the busier I am, the more I could work, take care of my family, and just give. Daniel, why are you successful? I think because I'm not afraid to work, you know, and I'm honest, and people see that. You know, if, if you're not afraid to work and... People see that you're looking out for their interest, even though you might not make the most money sometimes being being honest, but you know that goes a long way you know in many different ways. I believe in um, in, in hard work brings good luck, and I believe in in good karma you know when it comes down to it. you know I am a religious man and I, I do give my shirt to you know uh, my church too, and I believe that you know by giving you will receive you know. Um, God put you here to, to, to um, he gives you the blessings so you could turn around and give that back in, in one way or another, you know, and uh, kind of focus my business and my life around that, you know, and, and I think people see that. They, they know who I am when they meet me. They don't meet, they don't meet the persona that I want to project. They meet me, you know, and uh, I think that's what makes me successful. If you were to advise a brand new agent getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would say, of course, start with your sphere, like everybody else says. Start with your contacts, uh, and then start working. You know, get ready to give up every single weekend. You have to do that. You know, you're going to do that for three to five years. Um, and uh, make a budget. You know, because if if um, if you're financially st- tied down or financially st- strained, people are going to see that. You know, and 
that's one thing I would I would recommend an agent to do is just uh, just put some time into it, uh, put your database together, and uh, get to work. Well, Daniel, it's true. The harder you work, the luckier you get, and you've been working very hard. Your ability to see gold in the streets when everyone else is frozen in fear has proven to be very profitable. You've designed a business around your philosophy that it's better to give selflessly and multiply the good in the world. Your referral business model is impressive. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.